Welcome back, my Freedom Pact family. Happy Monday to you all. I hope that you are excited today. I hope that you are chasing down your dreams, chasing down your goals. And I hope that this podcast today can impact your life in some way. If it can, please let us know. There's an email address down below. Swipe up on the podcast. Let us know your thoughts. We love interacting with you guys. We are joined today by time management and productivity expert, Laura Vanderkam. The reason why we want to get Laura on the show was because we've had many, many, many emails to do an episode into time management into productivity i did a solo episode probably about 25 episodes ago with some productivity tips and that episode went on so well we had a lot of emails about it specifically relating to time management i personally had read laura's book 168 hours before and i thought it was fantastic so we decided to go and see if Laura wanted to come on and lo and behold she did so I think today's episode is just fantastic it really delves not just into specific strategies but also into the concept of time into the objectivity of time about things like why time slows down as you get older of things like why we're not as busy as we think we are why Thursday at 5pm is the midpoint of the week. But then we also get really granular with the podcast. We delve into things like time journals, into tracking time, into strategies which you can use. And also we talk about this fascinating concept which Laura's come up with, which is called 100 Dreams, which I highly, highly recommend you checking out. So a bit of background about Laura Laura is a New York Times best-selling author. Her books include Juliet's School of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and my personal favourite, 168 Hours. Laura's TED Talk has been viewed more than 8 million times. Her work has been featured in major publications, the New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Fortune. Laura is also a podcaster, which you can check out by swiping up on this episode. And just an all-round incredible woman. And it was such a pleasure speaking with her. So if you guys enjoyed this episode, we love hearing from you. Please let us know your thoughts. If you've got any guests which you would like us to get on, please email us, freedompact at gmail.com. Alternatively, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes as it helps us so much with the visibility of the show. So without any further ado, Laura Vandercam, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Thank you so much for having me. It is such a pleasure. So, Laura, you have spent an amazing amount of time studying time diaries, how people spend their time, studying this topic of time management. Our first question to you would be, what are some of the correlations 
that you have seen with people that are highly effective and how they manage their time? Well, the fundamental connection is that a life is lived in hours. And so if you're going to do anything with your life, it's going to take time to do it. I mean, pretty much anything worth doing takes time. And so people who have done great things have allocated their hours in order to achieve them. And so I've spent, you know, the past 10 years studying exactly how people allocate their hours in order to achieve the sorts of things that many of us would like to building a rewarding career, having a happy family life, being involved in our communities, taking care of our health. Fundamentally, I think that being mindful of where the time really goes is the first step to spending time better. Um, and if, if people can really develop an awareness of their hours and how they're spending their hours and how they'd like to spend their hours, then there's really not a huge limit on what they can achieve. On the flip side of that, then, what have you noticed about the way people spend their time. Uh, I'm talking about people who maybe haven't achieved what they wanted. Maybe they aren't so highly effective. What are people doing wrong? Well, I don't know. There's, as with the Tolstoy quote, you know, all unhappy families are different. Uh, however, that goes. There's a variety of reasons that that people don't manage to achieve their goals. Some of which may be internal. Some of are external. Um, but. I do think that the reality with time is that it keeps passing whether or not you think about how you're spending it. And that makes time very easy to spend mindlessly. And on some level, we all know that we have a limited amount of time. We know that it's a completely non-renewable resource. And once a minute is gone, you'll never get it back. And yet, because it keeps passing, we don't necessarily say, well, this is how I'd like to spend my evening or this is how I'd like to spend my weekend in a way that would be rejuvenating for me. And so we find ourselves doing whatever is easiest, um, whatever requires the least effort, whatever is right in front of us. And so that leads to a lot of inefficient email checking at work because it's right there sort of screaming at us like is email the right thing to be doing right now well I don't know that would take work to figure out if it's the right thing to do or you could just sort of deal with the inbox because it's right there or at home you know we might be doing things like scrolling around on the web or watching tv again because it's easy it might be more fun to get together with friends or throw a dinner party or you know have a couple families over for a potluck or an afternoon barbecue or something like that but of course that takes effort and so it's easier not to do the effort and then time keeps passing and we don't wind up filling it with things that would be particularly meaningful to us. Is this the the first takeaway that we can take away from you that there is, I imagine, a whole lot of people that are living in a state of reactivity to their moods, not being conscious of how they spend their time, but perhaps on the flip side, the people which are becoming you know highly effective they have a they have some sort of structure is that fair to say i think that is fair to say because all of us the the metaphor i like to use is we're all time is a moving river it keeps flowing forward we're all in our canoes going down this river it is very difficult when you're in the middle of this rapidly moving river to direct your canoe i mean the only way you can really do it is sort of get off to the side kind of take the survey of the water and and then try to direct your canoe from there I and mean, of course it's very difficult to do that uh, but the people who really do this well have built some sort of structure into their life for reflection about time 
time about where their time is going, where they would like their time to go. Um, I, I, that's a sort of fancy way of talking about this, but in a practical matter, uh, what I do, and this might be helpful for some of your listeners, is to take a little bit of time every Friday afternoon to kind of think about the past week and also look forward to the next week and to say, well, what would I like to accomplish in the next week? How would I like to spend my time in the next week? Here are the things that I need to do professionally. Here are the things I'd really like to do professionally. Here are the things I'd like to do personally, um, the things I need to do personally. When roughly can those happen? And uh, if they don't happen at the particular time I've assigned to them, is there another time I could give them? Is there a time I can leave open so that they can happen then? And just by building in this reflective time and this planning time frequently, you get that vantage point where you can start saying, okay, well, this is, this is how the river is moving. This is what I need to do to direct my, my canoe in the best way possible. Would you say you're the type of person that when they wake up in the morning, they like to know you know what they're doing that day to the minute i mean i can when you turned up for this podcast you turned up on the minute um, so <laughs> well i'm a podcaster myself so i i, <laughs> I appreciate it when uh, my guests show up on time <laughs> so. so yeah would you say that you know you like to know exactly what you're doing at what before the day even starts to the minute or do you have any sort of loose time throughout your day or is it more compact than that so mine is actually fairly loose, and that's partly because I run my own business um, and have a fair amount of autonomy over when I do things. Certain things, if I know it's going to be difficult to fit in later, I will attempt to do at certain times. So for instance, I run every day and many days. The best time to do that, certainly during the summer months, which is when we're recording this, is first thing in the morning. So I make sure to get up at a time where I will be able to run before I then start my day. But, you know, if that doesn't happen, I have the ability to, in the middle of the afternoon, go for a run because, you know, I'm, I'm the boss. Nobody's going to stop me. Uh, but, you know, other people may not have that sort of flexibility, in which case they have to structure their lives a little bit more um, rigidly. So I, I think some of that is just a function of your particular life, your career situation, maybe your family situation. I generally like to leave a ton of open space. So I, for any given day, I have a couple things that I need to accomplish, you know, a few things that are time specific commitments like this podcast, uh, a few other things like I have to turn in an assignment today because we're leaving for vacation tomorrow. Uh, I know I will do that at some point. I don't know exactly what window in the day I will do it, but I know it will happen at some point during the day. Again, other people, if you work as a dentist, for instance, well, you've got patients every 15 minutes so that your day is more structured. It's, it's more a function of preference and your various life uh, situations than what's right or wrong. It's so interesting that you're talking about this intentional but loose time. And I truly do think that this is a a definite correlation that we have seen with high performers. And the first exposure I had to this idea was through Peter Drucker. And he talks about how the effective executive, they always leave longer to complete tasks than is necessary. And I could link this idea with what Robert Greene talks about in the the 48 Laws of Power, where he, he says that if someone is constantly in a rush, if they're rushing about all the place, then all this shows is that they are out of control with their time, essentially. So do you feel like that is a major sign if someone is 
you know, in control, that they are not rushing about. Is that a sign of, say, an effective person? I, I do think so. And now we all have days where everything goes wrong and you're going to wind up rushing whether you, you mean to or not. But a lot of it is preventable, precisely as those people have written. And it's a good idea. That's why people keep writing this, is to leave lots of open space. I mean, one is it's just practical, um, as I think Drucker was getting at. Everything takes longer than you think it will. <laughs> and even if it doesn't, you're going to be happy to have time to come back to it. You know, if you are preparing a speech, for instance, that's great that you wrote it and practiced it. But hey, great that you could practice it a second time. Like you have the extra time. This is not going to be a waste. Um, so, so that's important to, to leave space for that. But it's also important to leave space for opportunity. If somebody who reports to you wants to come talk with you about these great business ideas she has, you probably don't want to tell her that she can come back next Thursday, you know, and talk to you then because that's the first available appointment you have. Like, it, it's really nice to sit there and actually have these conversations. And leaving open space allows you to do that. It allows you to sit with something that's going well and see where it leads. It allows you to have conversations with people who really need to talk to you. And, and that's how you can sort of solve big problems before they become huge. <laughs> it's, it's how you can seize opportunities as they arise. So, Laura, what, what would you say to my co-host by here, <laughs> Lewis, that is constantly in a state of rushing round? You pick up the phone to him and he's like, what do you want? What do you want? <laughs> you know, he's like rushing in the tip. Like, say he's at like uh, Tesco's, which is like a Walmart. He's like, come on, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> let me give let me give my side of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't want to be tired with a brush that's not right yet, right? So... I think that I, I just have this thing where I don't like wasting time or if I feel like I've wasted time. So, for an example, if I'm if I'm walking to the gym and say it's like a 15-minute walk, I'll say to myself, you know, if I run there, it'll save me 10 minutes and I can get home 10 minutes earlier and I can get on with something else for those 10 minutes. And or you'll if, have done more of a workout too. Yeah, well, so exactly. Yeah, it's optimizing time, right? <laughs> Or if Joe calls me up and I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be a productive call. He's going to he's going to tell me about some guests we need to book in. It's, it's maybe a sponsorship. And he calls me up and he's just telling me something completely random. I'm just thinking, <laughs> weekend, I'm thinking yes. get to the point or get off the phone. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I'm with you. I, I don't particularly like wasting time either, and particularly in situations where I feel other people are doing so just to do so. I was on a horrible bus ride, um, you know, a couple weeks ago where for whatever reason, the driver felt like he now had a captive audience and he was going to do a little tour while we were on the bus. <laughs> And it was just like, no, we all just want to get to the destination. Please make it stop. But, you know, this this happens. I think, you know, in situations like this where you're completely powerless over it, all you can do is just tell yourself, well, I have many other pieces of my life that are very efficient. So I allow some space for inefficiency. And maybe I can go to my own little happy place in my brain and, and picture, I don't know, a, a future vacation or uh, think about uh, my my goals or wonderful things that have happened to me in the past instead of listening to this guy give give the tour. But I mean, you know, we all are going to waste some amount of time. And and I think you can identify, like, where are the situations where you get most annoyed by these things. And so, for instance, if you find errands to be so 
trying because they do tend to waste your time and they sit in line and the clerks are taking extra time and you can't find stuff and you can't find anyone to help you. Just, you know, try to get most of this automated, order it online, right? Or maybe it's something you could outsource if you're the sort of person who has a personal assistant or something who could go do your errand shopping for you. I I don't know. There's a million different price points on how you could solve this problem. Uh, But it may help to figure out your particular triggers that are worst for feeling like you are wasting time and then see if you can just get them completely off your plate instead of forcing yourself through them and being mad each time. Do you think that in society there is a sort of like a lack mindset where we always think that we have, we wake up 10 minutes late, say for instance, and and then suddenly there's not enough time in the day or something just minor could happen and suddenly we're, we're on the back foot just chasing after things. Do you think that there is a lack mindset in society? Oh, definitely. And this is where this narrative of modern busyness comes from. Everyone seems to think we're busier now than we were in the past. It's not really true. Um, People actually aren't working any longer than they were in the past either. That's another misnomer. Um, And our our domestic burdens, for instance, housework takes a lot less time than it used to in the past. We we have in many ways more leisure time than we we did at different points. Um, But you know, you can certainly try to put more into a unit of time than can actually fit. And time, you said there's not enough time in the day. Well, I mean, time is, there's the exact same amount of the time in the day, no matter what you're doing, right? This is not something that is ever going to change, but it's all about how we deal with it. And so if there's a mismatch between expectations and reality, then you will feel rushed and behind. If there is a match between expectations and reality, then you'll feel fine. Uh, The problem is that many people's um, expectations vastly exceed reality, partly because their expectations are based on everything going perfectly, which does not happen. I mean, people think it takes them 20 minutes to get to work because it did once when they left at 5 a.m. when there were fewer people commuting. But, you know, you normally leave at 8 a.m. when there are a lot more people and so it takes longer. But yet in your mind, it should still take 20 minutes. I mean, people One of the reasons I track my time, and I always encourage other people to track their time as well, just for a week to see where it goes, is is it helps give you this more accurate sense of where the time really goes. It's very difficult to tell yourself day after day that your commute takes 20 minutes when it keeps taking 40. Um, And you keep writing down 40. And you're like, no, 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 it takes 20. Well, how many days do I need to write 40 down on the log before that bit of evidence gets absorbed? And I say, well, I don't like that fact, but I... I have to either come up with a way to change this reality, either by moving or moving my commute to a different time, or else I simply need to build this reality into my life. We're not as busy as we think we are. And I noticed that in a lot of people. And and some people think if they're not feeling busy, then, you know, it's some sort of metric into, into who you are as a person. And it made me wonder, is there, what is the correct way of sort of stepping back maybe stepping out of your, your situation and being able to objectively see and analyze how busy you actually are? Well, time tracking is useful for anyone who is feeling overwhelmed. I mentioned tracking your time for a week, and, and this is definitely the first exercise I have anyone do who would come to me and say, I'm, I'm feeling like my time is out of control, like I've got too much stuff going on, I feel too busy. So well, let's see. Let's see where it's really going, because often we're telling ourselves various stories um, that may or may not be true. Sometimes they're true. Sometimes they're not. 
One of the most common stories we tell is that we are working around the clock. Usually it is not the case. Um, people vastly overestimate their work hours, not if they get paid by the hour. Those people are very accurate. But the people who don't, people who uh, receive a salary, for instance, um, tend to overestimate, uh, partly because you know, it's human nature. If, if something you, know, you don't want to do tends to wind up feeling longer than something you do want to do. And also work tends to be structured. There are things you need to do at specific times. You're accountable to other people. And so it could expand in your mental accounting. Whereas when you're home, your leisure time doesn't necessarily have those aspects to it. And so it can seem to disappear uh, and to take less time. People tend to underestimate how much they sleep. Um, and that's partly a function of how we feel when we answer the question. Like if people feel tired, they will give you a lower number <laughs> for how much they sleep than if you actually have them track it. Um, you know, people will tell you they have no free time whatsoever. And then if a little later in the conversation can tell you about, you know, absolutely everything that happened in Game of Thrones or whatever, you know, series that takes a lot of time to watch. And, and it's, but you know, it's what that they don't have as much free time as they want. And that's perfectly true. And that's a fine thing to notice. Um, but it's a very different story than having none whatsoever. And, and so I really like to work from accurate data because then we can for sure see what's going on. We say, well, maybe the problem isn't that you are working this many hours per se. It's that you don't have anything interesting going on in your leisure time. And so work seems huge, whereas leisure time seems insignificant. Or maybe it's very hard to manage your energy during the workday. Um, maybe there's a way you could sort of proactively take breaks, get a little bit of fun time in there during the day, which would make you feel a little bit less like it's a slog. Or, you know, there's just all sorts of things you can do, but you can't do that if you're not working from accurate stories. I think that this is a, a fantastic point because the great thing about with an iPhone is you can see different people's screen times and <laughs> oh yes <laughs> there's a screen time function is one of the great accountability measures <laughs> of, of uh, modern technology yes yeah I, I think i read some of the other day that it, that the average teenager in america spends i think it's like four hours a day on on social media just just you know mindlessly scrolling or, or, or some crazy figure like that and when we speak to people and you know they tell us it's like oh yeah we don't have enough time and then you know you look at their screen time and it's like they're spending five six hours a day on social media 10 hours a week on adult websites or whatever someone else is <laughs> yes. doing and you're like oh well, that's where your time is going yeah so what what process do you use for tracking your time do you break it down by things like social media use do you break it down by obviously your writing how how would you advise that we take that process and use it ourselves well different people have a certain different level of interest in data and if you're the sort of person who wants a minute by minute analysis then you're going to need an electronic solution like some sort of app on your phone that will track you know where you are and take a guess at what you're doing and then you can go back in and correct the record or anything like that um, i just use a spreadsheet uh, it has the days of the week across the top, Monday to Sunday. It has half-hour blocks down the left-hand side, 5 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. So, you know, a 336-cell spreadsheet representing a 168-hour week. And I just go in about three times a day. I write in what I've done in, since the last time I checked in. So it's not going to be perfect. 
Like I might say, you know, work from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. And those two cells would have work and work. Well, I may have gotten up and, and, you know, gone to the bathroom at some point in there and I didn't record it, right? Like I, it's, that's not the sort of thing I'm necessarily tracking. I got up and got a glass of water. However, you can get the broad picture of where your time is going. And even if it's not minute by minute accurate, it's enough comprehensive that you get a very good sense of where the time really goes. And I want to say, I mean, it's, it's really not about playing gotcha. Like if anyone's listening to this and says, well, great, but I, you know, don't exactly want to find out that I was on Twitter for 10 hours last week or whatever it is that they are doing. Um, it's not so much about playing gotcha. It's really about just seeing the landscape of your life because almost everyone can look at their life and find some time that can be redeployed from things that they don't care about to things that they care about more. And, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of people say various things that they would like to do. Um, usually it's sort of uh, higher quality leisure activities Maybe it, you know, volunteering, getting together with friends or some sort of exercise or playing on a team, you know, various things that would be higher quality leisure than what we tend to do. And when you can look at your log and say, well, actually, I did have leisure time. I just spent it doing things I didn't necessarily care about. Then that gives you permission to say, well, what if I reallocated some of those hours to something that would be more enjoyable? Uh, and, and so most people find space for at least one or two things that they would like to do by doing this exercise. Yeah, I liked what you said about using the spreadsheet because in a way it is simple. Um, it reminds me of an interview I read uh, with yourself and they asked you, um, what apps you use, and all these different like online tools. And you said, well, really, the more apps you have on the on your phone, for example, the more interesting it's going to be, and it's it's going to end up being counterproductive if you overcomplicate it. Is that something you like to do? Keep it keep it simple rather than just you know too many cooks sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I I know that different people swear by different productivity apps. I don't. I mean, more or less because of what the answer I gave to that interview. Um, the more apps you have on your phone, the more interesting your phone is. And so you might open your phone to look at your productivity app, but then after five minutes on that, miraculously you find yourself over at Instagram and then you're there for 20 minutes. Well, did you save 20 minutes by looking at the productivity app? I highly doubt it. <laughs> so, um, you know, unless it was so life-changing that you were finding you know, many, many hours in the day as a result, it, it's probably not worth it. Um, you're, you're better off sort of just spending a little bit less time on your phone and more time living your life. <laughs> One topic which I really want to, to cover with you in this, and you've touched on it so far, is that we have more time than we think. You wrote a fantastic book called 168 Hours. It's on my shelf over there. So I would love to delve into this with you. And because I know you are fascinated in mathematics, which delve into it. So could you talk about the, the numbers and the process which you've used to, to really break down how we in fact have more time than we think we have? Well, that 168-hour number is a key part of it. And I didn't know there were 168 hours in a week until I was 
working on that book um, until I came up with a book proposal. I was like, wait a minute, 24 times seven. Hmm, let me multiply that. Well, if I multiply the seven and the four, 28 and carry that over. Yeah, we don't do this. Like people say 24 seven, people do not multiply that through. There are 168 hours in a week. And one of the reasons I think that this is an important number to keep in mind, well, first, a week is the cycle of life as you actually live it. Like if I ask people to describe a typical day, humorously enough, no one ever tells me about a Saturday. But a Tuesday and a Saturday both occur just as often. Like one is not more typical than the other, uh, but people will always describe the Tuesday. That That's the picture we have of our lives. It's a very work week centric view. And yet weekends are part of it. Um, those are real days. And so we want to make sure we have a very holistic view of time. It's also a good number to keep in mind just because of the math. If you, if there are 168 hours a week, a, a standard full-time job is about 40 hours a week. Okay. I mean, you know, 40 hours more or less. And so if somebody is working 40 hours and sleeping eight hours a night, that is 56 hours per week. That's eight times seven. You have 72 waking non-working hours which is almost twice as much time as you are working. And yet I think very few people with full-time jobs have that number in their head. And people say, well, oh, I work more than 40 hours. Fine. Like, let's say you work 50 hours a week. Well, you got 62 hours for other things. I mean, we're still talking a big chunk of time. And it's easy not to see that. And especially if we're walking around with the story, well, I work full time. That's the full amount of my time. Well, no, it isn't. And when we look at these numbers, we can start to see that and start to say, well, you know, if I do have this time, what would I like to do with it? And maybe there's reasons it's difficult to see. see maybe it's that we need to move things around in our schedule. Maybe it's that our energy isn't what we would like it to be at different points during the week. But those are different problems to solve than thinking we have a lack of time. So... I think this is this is such a fascinating idea and this really links in well with the time tracking. So how would you advise us to prioritize our time? Do you do it the night before? Do you do it the week? Do you plan a week ahead? What do you do it the night before for for the next day? How do you how do you allocate your time? So the main part of my planning does happen on a weekly basis. On Friday afternoon, I think about the upcoming week and, and plan what are my priorities for the upcoming week. And I find that that really helps me to go into the week knowing what needs to be accomplished and when I will accomplish it, which also helps me then relax over the weekend. Um, but every day, I also then look at the next day, the next calendar day and say, well, what do I intend to do tomorrow and what time specific commitments are on my schedule for tomorrow and how can I fit in other things around this and is there anything else I'd like to do and so then get a rough sense of where the next day will go. And so, yeah, I tend to do that the night before. So once a week, Friday, looking forward to the next week and then the night before for the next day. Is there any particular reason why you do it on Fridays? There are a few reasons. I mean, one is that I find Friday afternoon is a very good time to plan the next week because I'm generally not doing anything else on Friday afternoon. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm kind of sliding into the weekend at that point. It is very difficult to start anything new. And so it tends to be wasted time. But rather than waste it, I can take some of it and think about what future me should be doing. And that turns what would be wasted time into some of my most productive minutes of the week. I also think Friday is good because it allows you to plan Monday morning 
and hit the ground running. We tend to have more sort of energy and discipline and focus at the beginning of the week uh, before the emergencies arise. And so if you spend Monday morning planning the week ahead, like you've not used Monday morning, right? Uh, whereas if you've done it on Friday, you can you can hit the ground running on Monday. If you need to schedule Monday morning meetings, I mean, you can call those people on Friday afternoon. They're probably still at their desk and you'll be able to plan that um, in a way that you can't on Monday morning or you can't do Sunday night, which is another sort of common planning time for the week. A lot of people tell me that they plan their weeks on Sunday nights, which can work. But the problem is other people aren't at their desks then. So if you need something, you're not going to get them. Um, the other issue with it is one of the reasons people feel a little bit of Sunday angst and weekend angst about work is they know there's something big waiting for them on Monday, but they don't have a plan to deal with it. And if you don't develop that plan until Sunday night, you'll spend chunks of your weekend thinking about it. Whereas if you have your plan by Friday afternoon when you leave work, well, you're good. You don't have to think about it again until Monday morning. Yeah, so thinking chronologically just in my head, we're talking about Fridays. I read somewhere online that you speak about living your weekends mindfully. What is it that you meant by that? I think it's very easy to spend weekends mindlessly because, I mean, this is tends to be less structured time than the work day. Uh, many people are very busy during the week and get to the weekend and think, I want to do nothing. But the problem is you won't do nothing. You'll do something. But it might not be nearly as rejuvenating as if you'd put a tiny bit of thought into it. And, you know, if you are hanging out by yourself and doing things solely by yourself and have sort of limited aspirations of what you'd like to do on the weekend and the things you're going to do, you could do whenever. Well, okay, then it's fine. Maybe you don't really need to think about it ahead of time. But for instance, if you have, you know, young children and you might need a babysitter at some point on the weekend, like you and your spouse want to go out for dinner. Well, the babysitter is not going to show up randomly at a certain point uh, when you want to go out to dinner. Like you're going to have to think through that ahead of time. Or if you've got, you know, kid activities all weekend, but you also want to go for a two hour bike ride. Well, you're not going to be able to just decide in the middle of all these activities. Oh, guess what? I'm going for this bike ride. I mean, you may decide that your spouse is going to be furious with you. Um, so you should probably, you know, look at when things are happening and say, well, actually, if I got up a little bit earlier, I could do that, especially if my spouse took the first thing and then I could take the next thing and that way I'd be able to fit it in. You know, it, but it, by looking at the landscape of your weekend, you are able to do these things that you want to, even if you do have a lot of commitments. I often hear from people who do have young kids. They're like, well, you know, I just have no time whatsoever. Once you're a parent, you can't do anything fun. I said, like, well, no, that's not true. You just have to think through it ahead of time and think through the logistics and make plans. And if people aren't willing to do that, then sure, yeah, you're not going to do anything fun. But again, it's that's a choice. Um, it's not that you couldn't. It's that you didn't want to do the mental work to make it happen. Does this go back to this idea of becoming intentional with our time? Oh, it all comes back to that. I mean, it always comes back to that, right? <laughs> uh, by being, you know, recognizing that in many ways we are the architects of our time, we can do wonderful things with it. And I'm not saying that. Um, these choices we make about our time aren't constrained in various ways, but putting ourselves in the position where we feel like we do have control, that we are able to make some choices, um, and that we do have time for the things that matter to us. Well, it's just a much better story because you approach it from a sense of abundance and you can make more uh, conscious and relaxed choices than if you're constantly feeling behind. 
This idea reminds me of something we spoke to Nia Eyal um, two weeks ago, and who's written a book on productivity and, and becoming indistractable. And one of the things he said is, you're never wasting time or you're not being distracted, say, if you're looking at your phone, if that's what you've decided you were going to do with that time anyway. Is that something you believe in? Um. You know, I, I think it's if this is what you have decided to do with your time, then it's great. I, mean, I have no problem with leisure time. I and mean, people people sometimes come up with this caricature of my philosophy that's like, oh, you want me to plan every minute and only do productive things. And I believe in having downtime and, you know, going out and sitting in the grass and looking at the clouds. I'm like, that's great. You know, the problem is people don't go out and sit in the grass and look at the clouds. Like they go out, they sit, you know, on their sofa and look at their phone scrolling around people's random social media posts. I think Consciously chosen downtime is awesome. Um, if you would like to go sit outside for two hours and look at the clouds, you will have no complaint from me whatsoever. And and with that, like if you would like to spend the next 30 minutes looking at social media because they think there are interesting things. I mean, I personally love looking at photos of beautiful interior design. That is something I have consciously put a ton of in my Instagram feed because I love to see it. Um, and so when I go and you know spend 15 minutes looking at that, I feel very happy that I've looked at it. Um, so, that, so that's fine. Um, the problem is when we do these things completely mindlessly and you can have a whole evening disappear into this and you you know, may tell yourself a story that you have no time. It's not true. It's that, you know, it's easier to do these effortless fun things than more effortful fun. So how would you advise someone to really begin this process of becoming conscious and intentional with their time? Is is the first step time tracking? Is it prioritizing your days? What, what would you say the process that we can undertake is? Well, I, I recommend time tracking as the first step because you want to get a good sense of where your time is truly going. Uh, same thing with any business decision, right? You wouldn't open a store somewhere without looking at, you know, how neighbor neighboring retailers are doing. What's the foot traffic, all that. I mean, you want to, if, if you want to change things about your time, you need to know where it's going now because otherwise, how do you know if you're changing the right thing? Right. It's something you thought was a problem, maybe isn't something you've never even considered is taking more time than you thought. If you don't have good data, you cannot make good decisions. Um, I think being clear on priorities is, of course, you know, a, a second step is certainly part of this. Um, you want to know what is worth spending your time on. And there's various ways you can sort of get at this. I mean, one I like to do is to think about, you know, the, the end of the year. If on, on the professional front, if you were giving yourself a performance review at the end of the year, what would you like to say you've done? Well, you can do that several months ahead of time. You can do that in January for December. Say, well, by the end of the year, what would I like to say I've done professionally? And if you know those things, then you can kind of work backwards from them and, and make sure that those are filling your time before other things because they probably are more important to you than other things. And same thing in your personal life. You can picture yourself, you know, what would you tell friends and relations at a holiday party at the end of the year that was the highlights of your year. Well, whatever those things are probably deserve some space in your schedule in the months leading up to the end of the year. So you can kind of think about it that way and make sure that those are the things that are always getting space. Wow, I love that idea so much. So it's like you're writing yourself a letter at like, uh, say on January 1st or so, and you're giving it to yourself like a year in advance of what you want to do through that year. 
Sure. I mean, it doesn't have to be January 1st. You don't have to wait for January 1st. I mean, you could do it now for the end of the year. I mean, there's still plenty of time before the end of the year. The, the idea is just to sort of look forward some chunk of time and say, well, what would I like to have done by that time? And if you can think about that, and often we do have some sense of like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'd like to get a promotion in the next year, or I'd like to write a book in the next two years, or whatever it happens to be, then once you have those things, you can say, well, what am I going to do in the next week to advance myself toward those goals? I mean, what are the long list of steps it will take to get there? And how can I start putting those in? One thing I really wanted to ask you is, um, especially in the personal development space, you see a lot of this. And obviously, because you are a productivity expert, I, I'd like to get your take on it because so many people, you'll see it on YouTube, people saying, I woke up at 5 a.m. every day and this is what happened. Or you have motivational speakers telling you to, to get up early in the morning because that's when you're most productive. But is there actually any edge to being a morning person over a night person or does it simply just come back to how you're spending your time as opposed to anything deeper than that well i mean what happens with the mornings is that for many people it is the most convenient time for getting things done that are important but not urgent right and and so it's not that morning people are better people than night owls. It's just that our society tends to reward it. Um, the, the, the research in this is, is interesting, that students who are alert in their 8 a.m. classes get better grades, and they get into better schools, and they uh, get good jobs and because they looked alert, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed in the morning, uh, whereas nobody sees you doing that great thing at 2 a.m., and what they do see is that you look tired in the 8 a.m. meeting. <laughs> so again, it's not that they're better people. It's that the society is set up to reward it. Um, but because our society is set up the way it is for many people if you're sort of more in the middle it can behoove you to get up on time do whatever it is that is important to you before the day's commitments start happening so for instance if you want to exercise and you have a job that requires you to be in a certain place at a certain time and you have a family that's going to want to see you after work probably you are best off getting up a little bit earlier, doing your exercise first, and then going about your day. Because if you wait to do it later in the day, there's always going to be something else you can do. Um, it's going to be something good, something that you feel like you should do, and you won't have that opportunity. So, you know, it, it, I'm not saying you have to wake up at 5 a.m. every day. Um, but if you aren't a dedicated night owl, if you're a person who's more in the middle, it might be wise to look at how you're spending your time and you can see that, well, hey, in the evenings, I'm rarely spending my time all that well. I'm just puttering around online. Let me go to bed a little bit earlier, wake up a little bit earlier, turn unproductive evening hours into productive morning hours. This is such a, a fascinating idea and one which, which we could debate about a lot because, for example, with this podcast, I like to send out emails in the morning, but because a lot of our guests are stateside or all over the world, it I, I don't get replies till maybe 10 o'clock at night anyway, because obviously we're in the UK. So it's one of those things where, you know, it, it weighs up. But I do feel as if, as if, if I get up, I, I do have some sort of psychological edge, but I think that if you could overwrite that, you know, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and approach it from, you know, a place of, as like Lewis said, if you have the same hours, then I'm not sure it would matter. But but on this, I'd love to know, how do you personally, 
you know, approach your day? Do you prioritize the most important task early on in the day? How, how do you go about it? Uh, it sort of depends what I have going on. But in general, I like to use my mornings for writing and intense editing. That tends to be the time when I am best able to do those things. Um, in general, I do more of my email and phone calls in the afternoon um, because I find that that's time that's better suited to that. Um, but on the other hand, I've you know I I have four kids. Like various things come up at various points. I've learned to kind of seize whatever time is available. <laughs> and uh, if if I need to write something in an hour at 4 p.m., sure, I will do it then. Um, you know, I'd maybe prefer to do it at 9 a.m., but uh, if, if it needs to be 4 p.m., it will be 4 p.m. I think that one of the keys to becoming effective and really mastering your time is essentially is saying no to a lot of things, you know, because essentially when you say yes to one thing, you know, maybe uh, browsing on social media, you're saying no to other things. Like it could be, as you said, there could be writing or editing. And I would love to know, what is your process for saying no? Because it's clear that you are, you know, one of the world's leaders in, in time management. I can't imagine that if you have a day planned out, you know, and you've got a specific thing and then suddenly someone tries to intrude on your time that that you would... Uh, just just go with that and allow other people to dictate your priorities. So how do you say no to people? Well, so it depends. I mean, sometimes I will have something intrude on what I've done if I've determined that that would be a better thing to do. I mean, I sometimes I get you know, great opportunities coming in and somebody's like, can you talk about this? And, you know, one of the reasons I make sure I leave open space is that I can have those conversations. And some of the best opportunities that have ever come to me have not been labeled as such. Like, look at this, Laura, great opportunity. Um, it's more that somebody wants to have a conversation and then I'm willing to do it. And then we come up with something really cool that we're going to try. And that's what we what we run with. And it's um, because you made space for, for that sort of thing. Uh, that said, in, in general, when people ask me to do something, uh, I think where we get into the, the tricky part is the first question people often ask is not, should I do this? It's, am I free? Uh, and that's not the right question. <laughs> the right question is, is this the right thing to be doing with my time? Is, is this something I would really like to do? It makes sense for my long-term career or personal development or anything like that or you know, what I want to accomplish in the world and then see you know, where it might fit in with the time that is available. Where you particularly see this problem is when people ask you to do something far in the future. And the problem is that far in the future, your calendar tends to be empty. And so if somebody says, hey, can you do this thing in February? Well, like you're looking at your calendar for February. February is totally open. So you're like, uh, yeah, sure, I could do that in February. But the problem is come February, you are not going to have a completely open calendar. Like you're going to be just as busy as you are now, or you're going to have just as much stuff going on. Only now you're also going to have this other commitment that you were lukewarm about in August stacked onto the pile. And, and so the better question, whenever somebody asks you to do something in the future, you should ask yourself, would I do this tomorrow? And that allows you to get at, so you know what's going on in your life tomorrow. You know how busy you are. You know what you have going on. 
And if you'd say yes for tomorrow, like if you'd cancel things, you'd move things around in order to do this thing tomorrow, like by all means say yes for whenever they're asking um, because you're going to be happy you did it. But if you're just like, absolutely no way would I ever take this on tomorrow and I would feel no guilt about saying, yeah, no way, I can't do this tomorrow. Then just say that for February too um, and you'll be thankful in February that you didn't accept it. One idea that I heard of yours was this idea of 100 dreams and we found this so profound and was wondering, could you please explain this idea to everyone listening right now who may not be familiar with it and talk a bit about how it's impacted your own life specifically? So this is an exercise that I got from a career coach named Caroline Sinise Levine that she shared with me many years ago, and I've, I've shared it with a lot of other people since. And the list of 100 dreams is a completely unedited list of anything you might want to do with your time, like things that you want to spend more time doing in your life. And they could be goals that will require time. So something like running a marathon or traveling to Australia or something like that that are, are going to, you know, they're kind of bucket list type goals that are going to require time. But it could be more um, something along the lines of, well, I'd like to take a pottery class or I'd like to take more walks during the day or I should, you know, I'd like to call this person more, or, you know, spend more time experimenting with recipes or I'd like to read this book but just you keep going and the, the reason to go all the way to 100 it is that it's really difficult to get all the way to 100 many people's sort of life lists are very limited I mean, they, they come up with like 20 things they want to do and it's like okay now what well keep going let's let's get all the way to 100 you're gonna have to keep revisiting this list many many times in order to get all the way to 100 but the idea is we may have time and then we don't know what to do with it. And by coming up with a list of anything you might want to spend more time doing, well, you have ideas. And so if you're coming into the weekend and you're like, well, we, we've got some time this weekend. You know, what are we doing this weekend? I don't know. What do you want to do this weekend? Well, let's look at the list. Hey, well, here's this you know, park we keep saying we're going to visit. That's an hour away and we haven't gone there yet. Well, maybe we could do that this Saturday, right? So then you have ideas of things to do. And, and here's the thing you're not actually holding yourself to anything on this list. Like this is not a requirement. So it's not, should not be a source of guilt. Like if you don't do something on this list, it's okay. You may also try things on the list and realize you don't like them. This, this is one of the more interesting aspects of the list. So people have various ideas of things that they think they'd like to do or should be doing with their time. And then they try it and realize they don't like it. And that's actually pretty freeing. Uh, Caroline, the, the coach who gave me this list, had been telling herself she wanted to learn how to sew. And, and she had this whole elaborate story of like, oh, if only I had the time, I'd learn how to sew. I'd sew all these amazing things. Like, ooh, I'd be so creative and crafty. And, and then finally she's like, okay, well, I'm going to do it. Like she signs up for a sewing class and she learns how to do this stuff. She hates it. But that's now off the list. Like she doesn't have to spend that mental energy thinking about it. And over time, you, you do this list and you – you know, try different things on it and you start to learn what it really feels like to enjoy how you're spending your time. Like you learn more about yourself, you learn what you like, you learn what you don't like. Um, and that can help you make more informed choices about your time as you go on. I think this is such a beautiful idea. And as you were saying that, it took me back to Stephen Covey's, uh, I keep forgetting the name of these books, uh, Stephen Covey's uh, the Habits of Highly Seven Effective Habits, People. Seven Habits, yes, of Highly Effective People. And he talked in the book about uh, how if you don't prioritize your own time, then somebody else will. And what I love about that is that it gives you a clear 
you know, a clear indication of your priorities. So how would you advise someone break it down? Is it by travel? Is it by things you want to accomplish? Sure. I mean, whatever, whatever categories uh, work for you. And I've done this in the past. There's certainly been travel aspects of it. There have been professional goals. Um, there have been things I'd like to do with my family, um, sort of personal pleasure goals uh, in terms of, you know, various things I think would be fun for me personally. Uh, you know, so whatever category, a miscellaneous category, probably uh, maybe financial goals people want to achieve or um, things having to do with possessions or homes or you know anything like that. So uh, it, it kind of just depends as you're, you're making this list, you might start to see that certain categories work for you. Um, but, but yeah, travel, hobbies, uh, things to do with friends and family, those are, those are all pretty common categories. That's that's amazing, and, and after this call, we will definitely be be exploring that and seeing, you know, how how we take that. I imagine the first like fifty or so would probably be easy, but then I imagine that like the last twenty would get really creative. <laughs> yeah, are you kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel by the last twenty? Yeah. But it, it's it's good for you, you know. You really have to think about it. Mm. It's like that that thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman. The first like probably a portion of the list is like just like the I want to travel here and here and here and then towards the end you probably get like really deeper that slower less conscious think sorry more conscious thinking of you know like maybe I want to uh, do this or maybe I want to wake up with this person or, or it could be something like that yeah it could be that would be uh, all interesting things to put on the list one thing I, I'd, I'd love to talk to you because this conversation about time has, has really got me thinking how does our perceptions of time how does it change as we as we age well one thing that's sort of universal is that many people feel time goes faster as they get older than when they are younger and this is not actually true. Uh, time keeps passing at the exact same rate, regardless of what you do and regardless of how old you are. And somebody's six at the same time that you're 60. So um, we're all we're all moving through time at the exact same rate. It's just that we experience it in very different ways. And what partly what's happening is that our perception of time is shaped by what we're doing with it. And when you do more memorable things, which are either novel or intense in some way, um, or involve risk taking, then you tend to remember them more. They stand out more than if you were doing the same thing over and over again. And what happens is that a lot of adult life is, is very routine. Um, we wake up at the same time, we do the same things, we commute to work in the same way, we do roughly the same thing there, we commute home, we spend our evenings in the same way. And so none of this winds up registering in the brain. It's it's just the same thing over and over again, and so it kind of collapses into this memory sinkhole. Whereas when you are much younger, you are experiencing new things. Every time you do something, it, it might be new, or you're taking sort of the risks as you are figuring out your life and your first loves, first jobs, uh, all these things that you, you can't actually re-experience later in life. But you can, as an adult, consciously push put in little things that are more memorable like you can plan small adventures into your life in order to do more things that are memorable you can consciously take some risks um you know the things you are a little bit outside of your comfort zone but would definitely 
allow you to remember this time, uh, whether that's you know speaking up in a meeting where you're normally quiet or giving a speech or you know reaching out, calling someone that you haven't called before to, to talk to them. I mean, all these are things that you will remember because they are emotionally intense um, or you know, going somewhere new to eat or, you know, going uh, to, I, I went to a jazz club on a Monday night this week. That was kind of memorable. Uh, so these are, these are just little adventures you can put into your life and then you remember them and then you feel like you have more time. Wow. So just entering into a different emotional state will make it feel as if we've got more time. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, because time is really about memory. And when we say, you know, where did the time go, right? Like that's a phrase people say, like you, you see some child you haven't seen in three years. You're like, whoa, yeah, that kid's so big. How did you grow so much? Well, because it was three years ago. Right? You're like, where did the time go? What you're actually saying is that I don't remember where the time went. And if you don't remember where the time went, then it disappears. But if you do remember where the time went, then time feels more rich and, and full. And, and so that helps it feel vaster in your experience than if you don't put in these memories. Laura, this has been a, a great conversation and, and one that I'll think about for a long time. And it could have gone on for hours, but you know, since we're on the topic <laughs> of time management, we only planned it for an hour. So we'll stick to that. Um, so before we let you go, we, we have four questions that we ask every guest that comes on. So they're non-specific. The first one is, you're a well-respected author. Your books have undoubtedly impacted many people's lives. Are there any books that you've read that have impacted your life up until this point? Uh, well, you'd mentioned one of them, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is, is kind of the quintessential self-help book. Um, but I think a self-help book that is based in trying to be a good person and live a good, effective life, as opposed to um, here's how you can get other people to do what you want them to do. And by the way, here's how you can always get a good parking spot by manifesting it or something like that. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm a fan of, of Covey's work for, for being a bit more about uh, doing, doing the hard work to live a good life. Amazing. So we are a show rooted in action taking because knowledge without action taken is useless so if you could issue us and our audience a challenge based on your work of how we can manage our time better become more intentional or any challenge which you would like to set for us maybe two to three things which we can start doing today what would your challenge to us be well the first thing you can certainly guess would be to try tracking your time um, and I would challenge people to get through a week. If they can't do a week, two weekdays and one weekend, it's good. But see if you can get to a week um, because I promise you will find the exercise useful. Um, you know, planning your weeks on Friday afternoons is another good idea, something practical you can do, really looking at the next week and saying, well, what, what would I like to do with my time? Another thing you could do during that Friday afternoon planning is look at what's already on your calendar and see what you don't actually want to do and see if you can get rid of it. That can be useful for freeing up all kinds of space. Uh, I would also challenge people to um, try building in some open space. Uh, one, one great idea is to leave, say, one morning, maybe Friday morning, completely open. And it's not that you'll get to go on vacation on Friday morning, but what will happen is that something will go wrong at another point in the week. And 
if you have a spot, namely Friday morning, where you can move those things, then you're good. You're not behind. You're still making progress on your goals. Whereas if you don't have open space, then that's where you have to start borrowing from future weeks and, and you start feeling overwhelmed. The challenge has been issued. <laughs> yeah, so our next question, our penultimate question is, what societal rules, norms, expectations do you love to break? <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I, I think I'm drawn to all aspects of, of time management. But as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a mother of four children. You know, I have a very uh, full family life. And, but one of the things that's always enjoyable to me is to make sure that I'm still making space for my own interests too. And people are always like, well, where do you find time for, so that's why there's plenty of time. I don't know. I, I sing in a choir. Um, I enjoy doing that. So we make space for that. I run every day. Um, and that's something I make space for. There are probably things I don't do. I mean, I don't really watch TV. Um, but you know, if you choose not to do that, it turns out to be all kinds of time available. Um, so I like to tweak assumptions about what it's, it's possible to do, um, when you are, uh, raising a, a slightly larger brood. Perfect. So our final question, um, I'll pitch you a scenario here. Someone comes to you and says, Laura, everyone in the world is tuned in to the exact same frequency. We're going to give you the opportunity to broadcast you know, a short but impactful message and every person on the planet will hear what you say, what would your message to the world be? Well, one of my favorite phrases that I've ever come across, um, one of the busiest people I ever interviewed when I was asking how she accomplished all the amazing things she was doing, she basically said, I don't have, instead of saying I don't have time to do X, Y, or Z, she'd say I don't do X, Y, or Z because it's not a priority. And I would love to have people learn to substitute this language. Whenever we say, I don't have time, try saying it's not a priority. So, you know, I mean, people will tell you they don't have time to floss. It's not true. They don't want to floss. Um, and, uh, you know, so just having this sense that so much of time is about what we choose to do with it puts us back in control of it. And I recognize that there are situations that are difficult that we can't necessarily do anything about immediately. But the more we come to have this sense that it's not about lacking time, it's, it's about what's a priority and what isn't, um, the more we will feel uh, like that we can make choices about our time. Wow, what a fantastic, fantastic answer. Laura, where can our audience connect with you? Well, you can come visit my website, lauravandercam.com. I have a short every week every weekday morning podcast that's called before breakfast um where i give a productivity tip it just takes about five minutes to listen to so if people are looking for something to give them a little jolt in the morning they might want to check that out 